Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don, licensed realtors with Windermere Midtown. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Here's my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's episode number 128 of the Ron and Don Show, and this is pretty exciting. We are live for the Lushrod Studios. We are on the shores of South Lake Union. We are social distancing right now, and we are pumped up about today's show, because guess what? We got to talk about the Seattle real estate market. You saw that in the Seattle Times a number of days ago, how on fire the market is in Seattle, and also, for some of us, how unfair it might be. Tom Douglas, shuttering a couple huge restaurants. I mean, big-time restaurants. And one of our big restaurateurs, Tom Douglas, and also Ethan Stoll, thinking about shutting more doors. And what does that mean for these places and spaces that we love to visit? We'll get to that before we get to that, though. Let's get to this on episode 128. Mary Trump written a book about her uncle, Donald Trump, right? And she's written a book, and what was interesting, Donald's younger brother jumped in and said, not so fast, took her to court and said, you can't release that book right now because it's an election season. (laughs) And that's why he took her to court. A judge said, you know what, you're right. Then another judge said, no, that judge is wrong, and she can release the book. So now we found out a book as we headed this election season, and it's called Too Much and never enough, Ron, this book is very, very interesting, and we're beginning to see some early release passages. Well, here's the X factor that you left out. The subtitle of that book is How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, but Mary Trump is a trained clinical psychologist from a pretty prestigious uh, uh, academic background. So that to me is the X factor. A tell-all book, I could care less. There have been a bunch of them, including Bolton's book just came out and In the Room and all the... Like, we've seen a steady parade of these. And even with this book, if you're already... If you've already chosen a side and drank the Kool-Aid on either side, then this book's going to have zero impact. Uh, the, The people in the middle, though... The thing that seems to be moving the needle with folks that may have voted for Donald Trump in last election and are now on the fence or have flipped has been whether or not COVID has crushed their zip code. That seems like when you look at the polls and you look at people that do these meta analyses like uh, Nate Silver in, in the 538 blog, it's where in, in phase one of COVID, maybe you were rural, maybe you were uh, not in a liberal elite city. And so you saw phase one, it's like, oh, New York's off the charts. Well, I don't live in New York and I don't like New York elites. Or you're like, oh my gosh, Seattle got hit. Or oh, Los Angeles really locked it down. And yeah, that's on the coast and there are a bunch of uh, lefty liberals, granola eaters out there. I live over here in Trump country. I'm in a red state. Uh, I'm in Arizona. This isn't happening to us. Boom, Arizona explodes. Now the people that were moderates and maybe they voted for Trump for economic reasons and actually that promise was fulfilled for most of his presidency. Uh, if you were an, an economic guy and you were playing the stock market, you're like, hey, man, my 401k has never been better. It's better than it was under Obama. And so you were happy with that. As soon as this coronavirus has crushed these uh, zip codes and you see real deaths 
real hospitalizations, uh, real things in like Yakima County where the hospitals are overwhelmed, that seems to be doing it. And so if, if this book lands in concert with that, maybe it changed some hearts and minds. I think just for me, having someone that actually is a clinical psychologist that did spend a, a great deal of time with Donald Trump growing up, not necessarily right now, he could, you could get some insights into familial abuse. And she talks about Donald Trump's father uh, of being a very abusive and controlling and manipulative. And so that could shed some light. I don't know if I need any more light to be shed. I just look at the guy's behavior. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess it's interesting what the, the uh, clinician yeah. would say, but do we really need more evidence? Do we really need, like, just listen to what he says, watch what he does. Uh, if that doesn't tell you uh, the basics of a psychological profile, I don't know what, like, I don't need a clinician to tell me that, oh, he was traumatized and abused as a child and therefore he has a narcissistic streak. No, it's like, okay, Captain Obvious, I get it. Like, I understand it. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. But I do think this is going to be inflammatory during an election season. Yeah, well, they say that his mom left for a year. And then the dad, they're saying his dad was abusive. Abusive in what way, though? Not physically. They say maybe mentally. And, and then his dad gave him a fortune. So I don't know how abusive that was. With Mary, what the family is saying is that, well... She has lived off the spoon, the family spoon, her whole life and has never made anything of her life. And then come to find out she made a lot of her with her life, right? And so she has these insights. I wonder why it's important for her, though, to share these insights right now because I, I try to look at things through another lens and is she just being an opportunist? Sure, but well, the publishers are. And, and, and saying, let's go ahead and sell this book because she did have an agreement with the family uh, th that she would be quiet and not tell the family secrets. Uh, what's, what the publicist is saying is, hey, we don't have that agreement. And the judge agreed with the publicist, and that's why they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna print this I think this if book. she more really wanted to make an impact, the, the press release would have said, Mary Trump agrees to donate 100% of the profits of this book uh, to fill in the blank. Uh, a charitable cause of her choice so that it doesn't appear um, opportunistic. Yeah. That's not in the press release. So it's probably a blend of maybe she does feel like this is a dangerous man. I want to do my part because I have special information to sway the election. That might be a noble pursuit in terms of the way she views the world. But if you wanted to go that extra mile, she does from come from a family of means. Obviously you could have donated all the profits to something. And then I think you take that piece out of it and it bolsters your position, and you figure out a different way to get income on that. I just think about, like, you and I, we, we, like, I know your older sister, Leslie, and we grew up together. She's my age. What if she wanted to write a book about you? The book she could write. Or what if my sister, Beth? For all four people that would want to read that. Or my, or my late sister, Colleen, if, if they wanted to write a book about me, I mean, in a lot of ways, because they do know the family secrets are part of that. And, and, and in some ways they could look at me and they, they, they know where the bodies, they know where the bodies are buried. So in, in this sense, really couldn't anyone do this to, to, to any family? Uh, they could, but not every family is the president of the United States and has the, the football nuclear codes uh, with them all the time and can impact stock markets and cultures around the world. And in my mind, honestly, 
I believe with 100% of my heart and soul that the behaviors of this White House has ca- have caused literal Americans to die from uh, the coronavirus. I think the, the, the blatant disregard for safety standards, the mocking of mask wearing, uh, you know, just not giving a rip, doing, uh, uh, you know, big events during a pandemic. I think there are people that have died, a lot of people that have died mm. because of just negligence. Yeah. All right. People have died because of this pandemic. Also, businesses are closing. Tom Douglas, a giant, just a giant, a great entrepreneur here in the city of Seattle, also very philanthropic and makes a mean coconut cream pie. In fact, it used to be we wouldn't let him in our studios unless he showed up with the coconut cream pie. So a couple of restaurants closing. One of those, you could get the coconut cream pie. Wow. Just wow. And what other restaurants are going to be next? And what does this mean for the city of Seattle and those of us that love to dine out? Or at least pick it up, take it home. Talk about that next. And also the Seattle real estate market. You saw it on the front page of the Seattle Times. It's on fire. But is it unfair? We'll talk about that straight ahead. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. You know, COVID-19 is changing the way we all do things. We're getting pretty good at staying safe. And so keep it up with a free safety check right now at Les Schwab for your vehicle. We encourage you, schedule an appointment online to expedite your service and limit your time in the store. Yeah, don't forget, Ron. Now through July 11th, save up to $210. That's right. Save up to $110 off a set of four select tires. Also, $50 off brakes with the purchase of a set of four tires. Also, another $50 off alignment with the purchase of a set of four tires. So, you want to find a store near you? There's 85 to serve you guys. That's easy. Just go to leshwab.com. That's leshwab.com. And now you can book online so you don't have to sit in the waiting room. Also, don't forget, this is a limited time offer while supplies last. Actual discount amount depends on the size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at leshwab.com. Les Schwab, let's say it together. Doing the right thing. It matters. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. (laughs) When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide, their services, were it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, "Uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. (laughs) 
the weekend that we sold the house. Um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. We did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Ready for a great 2020? Take Ron and Don with you. Just hit subscribe. Hey guys, episode 128 of the Ron and Don Show. Tom Douglas, really kind of the original restaurateur. Uh, when you think of local restaurateurs, when you think of cooking schools, when you think of a great radio show, a great podcast, someone that's philanthropic, uh, someone who championed, and I know I got in a little trouble uh, for this and there was a lawsuit, but really did champion uh, paying his workers more. And started opening up lots and lots of restaurants here in Seattle, Tom Douglas, as as Amazon just kind of took off. And as tech took off, he took off with it. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing the Ethan Stoles of the world, we're seeing the Tom Douglases of the world, deciding, hey, our 10-year lease is up. And in the age of COVID, I don't think we're going to resign. Quoco, a restaurant that I used to attend maybe once every couple months, Go there to dine and down in South Lake Union. And also the restaurant that was on top of that. Uh, Brave Horse Tavern. Yeah. Great pretzels, great mustard, great concept. Always packed when you went in there. Always packed. Shuffleboard, other kinds of cool stuff, cool beers, drinks, whatever you like. Both of those are now going to shutter. And Ron, I was really surprised to hear this because it seems like if Tom Douglas can't make it work in South Lake Union, who's going to take over these big, huge spaces and who's going to make it work, right? Yeah, I was, uh, you know what? I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised because the thing that I learned about Tom Douglas a long time ago, obviously he's a great cook. And I remember watching him on Iron Chef uh, and he won his salmon battle. He was up against, I think, Iron Chef Morimoto and I loved that battle. And we always had fun with him on the air and did some events over the years. But I remember talking with him. It was either, uh, I think it was on one of the interviews one time. He had to learn to become a better businessman than a cook. Because if you're going to scale, uh, if you're a great cook, you can have a restaurant and you can be in that restaurant 80 hours a week and you can make a go of it and have a very successful restaurant. If you want to have an empire of restaurants and own a city, Tom Douglas is not standing behind the line cooking anymore. He's now looking at leases. He's looking at menus. He's looking at uh, how to order inventory. His, and what, wife, his wife runs their farm where they get a lot right, of Right. What are the ingredients? What are my margins? What's my health care? So like you, you, you leave the kitchen and you enter the boardroom, and he did that better than almost anybody. Uh, and you look at his coaching tree, so to speak, to use an NFL analogy, of the people that sort of came through his coaching tree and learned the biz and went back out and did their own restaurants. And he he has a, an impressive pedigree. So I'm sure that he's looked at sliced and diced these numbers every way possible. The biggest thing is the ripple effect of Amazon. So Amazon looked around and they basically said, huh, our people can kind of work from home. If you're at Amazon corporate, we can do a zoom call. 
We can have you on your laptop with proprietary Amazon software that lets you see all the back end of every product. And you can really be in your condo or your house uh, and do most of your job. So don't come here. When you walked into Brave Horse on a Thursday or a Friday night, that was a lot of Amazon people. That was a lot of Amazon people that were like, let's go down and grab an Impossible Burger. We'll get a beer. Or if you had a meeting, uh, if you're like, oh, I'm going to meet Don as a vendor. Uh, he's coming in. We're going to maybe do a deal here at Amazon. Let's meet down at Brave Horse. And so the ripple effect of basically shutting down that building above, and I wonder what Amazon's doing in terms of like, that's a lot of office space that's just sitting there uh, right above these two restaurants. So he did the math, decided to close them down. I wouldn't be shocked either if a year from now they're still vacant and Tom Douglas can step back in because of the infrastructure that he put into those buildings and go, hey, how about we sign a new 10-year lease at way better terms for me and I will resurrect some concepts in these two places? That wouldn't surprise me. But to basically say, I'm not going to re-sign. We'll talk later. I'm sure he is so savvy. I am positive that there were some sort of discussions where it's like, Hey, Tom, what do we got to do to keep you in here? And I'm, he, I'm making this up, but let's revisit in a while. Yeah, because these spaces are huge. They are huge spaces. And you could go ahead and cut them up, but in the age of retail below and people living above. Uh, there's, there's no residences at this place. Yeah, who's gonna, but who's going to – there's residents around. Who's going right. to want that space? Right. And, and if Tom can't make it work, can the Ethan Stoll's make it work? And Ethan Stoll, for instance, he is looking at other cities where he can make his concept work because uh, – Have you sat down in a restaurant recently, the last month? I've sat down one time. How was it? And it was at a Duke's Chowder House. And to your point, Dukes had came out and announced that they were bankrupt and closing. And then all of a sudden, there was this free money. And all of a sudden, we see, and I couldn't believe that Dukes was open. So I wanted to see it. I went down to South Lake Union. I met a friend down there. We were in the, it's, and it's a huge facility down there. It is, it's not like the little facility that they have on Green Lake or a little facility that they have over in West Seattle. It's Green Lake, West Seattle times 10. It's huge down in, uh, down in the south end. There's no one in there. There's no one in there. They have the, the chairs propped up against the bar, so you can't sit at the bar. The bartender's masked. Uh, the wait staff is masked. And I walked around just to see how many people were dining there because there's no one dining around us. And there were, there were four couples or groups of people in there that, that were dining. And I talked to the bartender who was also our weight person, and I gave him like a $25 tip, and I think the bill was only 40 bucks. But I, anywhere I go now, I'm just trying to over-tip and help people that Do are Do you intend servicing. to keep going back to restaurants? Uh, I can't say I enjoy that, because the whole time I'm sitting there, you're, you're sitting there and you're just kind of freaked out. And then I'm sitting there the whole time. I was feeling bad for the people that were working there. And I was just wondering the whole time. So I started talking to the bartender about his family and about how he's going to make it and the three different jobs and all that stuff. So for me, it was, I, 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 I walked out of there feeling a lot of gratitude about my own situation and, and we've all had difficulties here, but I just, I feel, 
I feel very fortunate. And I walked out of there feeling very fortunate, but very concerned about people that work in the service industry. I have another friend that's a bartender, works in the service industry, and right now they're sitting at home and they're getting a government check. After the election, those government checks are going to disappear, you guys. And then we're going to feel it. We don't feel it now because there's lots of money being pumped in the economy, but you can't pump it in forever. Uh, And at some point, we are going to feel it uh, right after the November election, I think. So anyway, our best to Tom Douglas. I hope he's making coconut cream pies for all of us for a long time to come. Let's come back, talk about the Seattle real estate market. It's been on the front page of the Seattle Times, and now it's on the front page of the Ron and Don Show, episode 128, live from the Les Schwab Studios, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, guys, what's going on? It is Ron and Don, episode 128. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we get out of here, it's been in the front page of the Seattle Times a lot, talking about the fact that the Seattle real estate market is on fire. And Ron, there's a couple of reasons why the real estate market's on fire right now, right? Yeah, this is an interesting story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it as a licensed broker for a second and then talk about it as a human being. So as a licensed broker, it's just an interesting phenomenon. You have year-to-year inventory is down by cut in half, meaning that there are not a lot of houses for sale. And yet uh, market demand is at or above what it was a year ago. So if you took high school economics, you get that low supply, high demand, what happens, prices go up. Uh, that's that's what we're seeing. And that's that's all over the place. So the demand is very hot. Uh, people are trying to get in there. And I think that's indicative of how strong our economy is here locally with the, the tech foothold that is established here, that that's a good thing. Like this is not happening in every city across America. So the fact that that happens means that Seattle, the underpinnings of Seattle are stronger than they would be in, in other cities across America. So as a person that is makes their living in real estate, that's an interesting phenomenon because you have to compete harder if you're a buyer. And if you're a seller, you have to position the house just right uh, because of the you know there's going to be an onslaught of potential buyers um, if you do everything correctly. So you're going to do right by your client to get them the most amount of money. And so that balance is interesting to walk. Now, if we step back, because what the, the Seattle Times article is talking about is should there be fairness? Hang on, quick. Are you a human being right now? or are you, Yes, I'm a human or being right now. are you a licensed right broker? I'm both. Okay. But I'm, I'm putting on my human being hat. Okay. Uh, because I, I do... a weird hat. I it do has, like... It's just a big H on it. Yes. That's yeah, like a top hat has an H on it. Is the H for human being? Yes, it's for human being. I love that. Okay. So um, I, I think that the, what the Times is trying to say is, should there be fairness when it comes to the housing search and and housing in general. Like that's the thing we've been grappling with as a community here. And you always like to point out where it's like, if I'm a school teacher, if I'm a firefighter, if I work in retail, if I am at a Tom Douglas restaurant and I'm a line cook, do I deserve to live in the city that I work? Um, do I deserve, should I make enough money where I could afford an apartment or afford heaven forbid to buy a small condo or a small house? And so that's the other side of this coin is pointing out. It's like, Hey, this is in a sense, giving the haves more and the have nots less. Because if you are someone, if you're a bread and butter couple where we both work decent jobs, 
We both make a decent living and we just want to go out, get a conventional loan, uh, put 10% down. You, you're not getting a house. You are not getting a house. It's not going to happen. And I feel for those people. I think they deserve to have a house. I think if you are that bread and butter, hardworking, more of a blue collar type of person, because that's what my family was and your family growing up for the most part, this blue collar ethic, and my parents could buy a house. Uh, and that family right now, if you're in, in Seattle specifically and surrounding, surrounding neighborhoods, you are not buying a house. You're going to have to go all the way down uh, to Puyallup or to Renton or all of those things. Even if you work in downtown Seattle, it's just not going to happen. And so that, in a sense, a human being, that is, is a quandary. See, in the, I push back on the word deserve. And, and I'll give you an example. I bought a house from a hoarder over a year ago. And the house was destroyed in the Nisqually earthquake, and nobody ever fixed it. So this thing had a snap foundation, and this thing is rough. So I scraped together some money and purchased this house. For the last 14 months, I've, I, I have worked on this house. Uh, and along the way, I've invited people to come along that I would pay to work on the house with me. Over the weekend, I invited three different young men, and one was the kind of guy that you're talking about that works, a hardworking guy that works at Starbucks. Another kid who uh, is 17, I, he has a side business where he makes these flags, and I've helped him sell, and, and I actually purchased one of his flags. Spent a couple hundred dollars on that, gave that to a friend of mine because I want to support his business. So I offered these guys $20 an hour three dudes to come over and help me this weekend because I'm putting it all on. Do you know how many guys showed up? One guy was nice enough to call me and tell me that he decided he was going to spend the day canoeing with his girlfriend. And another guy decided just to go, he, he had committed to it and then he decided to go fishing. Does that guy deserve a house? Because I'm under the house. I'm fixing the foundation. I am putting in the yard and I am in there. I'm doing all the stuff that you got to do to own a house like this. Does that guy deserve that house? So I just question when I hear the word deserve. When I hear the word deserve. And see, that's the old part of me that says, man, I I bootstrapped this house, right? I've worked very, very, beat my chest. I've worked very, very hard for the last 14 months on this house. Who deserves this house? So... Somewhere along the way, we have poo-pooed work ethic and we have allowed the right to own that, to kind of own work ethic. And I think somewhere along the way, we got to bring that back in the conversation because I believe in being fair, like $20 an hour. I was paying one of those guys $8 more an hour than he gets at his other job, $20 an hour to come and ride around a truck and shovel some rock. And I guaranteed all those guys at least a hundred to two hundred dollars if they came out over the weekend, and it would be it'd be cash. Nobody came. I have friends right now that are getting unemployment checks, and I have offered them work, and none of them are interested in doing any of the work. They're, it sounds they're, like you have a friend problem. They're interested. They're, <laughs> they are interested in getting their unemployment checks. You go back to President Obama, 99 weeks of unemployment. I know lots of people that did 99 weeks of unemployment, didn't work. 
and then the hundred week came and they didn't renew it well, and they're cl- like clearly okay, those, now I'm gonna- th- that, that group of people is i'm not saying they're entitled to a home i'm talking about some t- if you have a family uh, a man and a wife, or two men, two women, whatever. A, a, a partnership, two, a couple. The, the word des- you're, killing are- me, you're killing me with the word deserve. No, I, I'm going to double down on deserve. I'm not down with the sickness gonna, on I'm, deserve. I'm going to double down on deserve in this with, regard. I am not with you. Not with the, the specific examples are, you so gave. Just so people know, we are pointing. We are pointing at each other pointing, right now. We are now pointing. We, we are. We are socially distance. Okay. <laughs> deserve in this sense. Okay. As a society, if you have uh, people that are working a full-time job, not bootstrapping on the side like you're doing, just you go and you have a career, not a minimum wage job, you got some sort of education, some sort of vocation, some sort of career path, and you are putting in your 40 to 60 hours a week at this job, what is your stature in society? Do you, can you become a homeowner? Does society have any obligation to that person? When did you change? Because when we would we would talk about this two years ago, you'd say, "Ah, you don't get to live anywhere you want to live. You don't get to live. You get to live where you want to live. You get to live where you can afford to live. That's what you used to say. So what changed? I'm saying I'm asking the question. This article is pointing out uh, the the competitive nature of real estate right now, and I I uh, we go that day in and day out. We're living in that. Yeah. Uh, And so I'm just I'm raising the question of the article. What is society's obligation to these families that are working hard? What's the obligation to somebody that that has gone out though, has leveraged everything, and they have multiple mortgages? That could be me, maybe not. But you're so, and, and then COVID happens, and then. I like like right now. I could go get an unemployment check. I don't. That is not my. Is not my. And, and people that do, they should because there are people. The reason I don't take that money because there's people out there that need it, and I'm in a position right now where I don't. And maybe I will someday, but I don't right now. And the people that need it, go get it. But with that said, you, you, I, I had, I had someone that lives in one of my places tell me the other day that they don't need to pay their rent. It's like, well, I need to still pay the mortgage, but you don't need to pay your rent? Yeah, I don't need to. And they still have a job. And they're like, yeah, the government says I don't need to pay my rent this month, so I'm not going to pay it. Well, the bank hasn't called me and told me about the place that you're staying in that the mortgage doesn't need to get paid, right? So they decide not to pay, but I still got to pay. And I'm out over this precipice of... What's going to happen after the election when we stop pumping all this money in? What's going to happen to housing here in the city of Seattle that I'm actually trying to make better and provide affordable places for people to live in the real estate that I own? But with that said, I've put it all on the line. I've taken all the risk. What is that worth and what do I deserve? You deserve what you have. And you reap the rewards of that. And also, I just here's yeah, the thing, though. You're listen, talking about listen, the micro. I'm talking about I the deser- macro. Deserve, I'm pointing at you right now. I, I'm deserve, about you, you I deserve to lose it all. I do. I, when I take that risk, I deserve to lose everything. Of course. And I have lost everything before, and I'm fine with risk because I've lost everything before, and I'm still standing here, right? Think, well, we're talking about two different things. Well, we're talking about me because I made this about me. Right. We're talking about two different things. <laughs> your example, I, I grant you your example. I, want, I, I didn't want anything to be granted. I did, are, but you, I did grant. What are you, a wizard over here? I'm granting You're granting it to you. things now. You're oh, talking about the micro hat on with a big G on that says grant. Uh, uh, you are. are grant. I thought yeah. you were a human right. a moment ago. Now you're granting. I'm done. Episode 128 out. <laughs> We're on his big hat now. It says O on it. <laughs> <laughs>
out. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. Only on the Run Daughter Radio Network. Out. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Oh,